0: This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversation with hosts Leah Lem and Dr. Anthony Stately. COVID-19 Community Conversation is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health.
1: Aneen, hello, I'm Leah Lem.
0: And I'm Anthony Stately. We're back with more conversations, more explorations about how Indian country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic. Miigwetch and thank you for joining us.
1: Yay, we are back co-hosting COVID-19 Community Conversations. Buju Dr. Anthony Stately. Hi,
0: Leah. Good to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, I'm really happy to see the snow melting and the thaw beginning. It has been a long, hard winter. I'm, I'm, I'm in a good, I'm in good shape right now.
1: <laughs> Excellent. And you are the president and CEO of the Native American Community Clinic in Minneapolis. And how is that going? Just really briefly.
0: Um, it's going well. You know, the clinic is um, uh, also, you know, we're pivoting quickly. We had gotten hit very hard by the Omicron, you know, like all communities, if you're a data, you know, um, person, you can go and look at all those charts that are on the Minnesota um, COVID nineteen website and also the CDC website, and you can see that spike between, you know, the week before Christmas or the week of Christmas, and man, you know, that um, second week of January, it just like cases just doubled, tripled, quadrupled Ooh. in some places. It's and, wow. and we certainly felt that within the clinic, right? We certainly felt that in the mm-hmm. community as well. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, hopefully the the spring thaw will help thaw those numbers
0: <laughs> a, you know, a little bit. They've come down rapidly, and so I think, I hope so. Oh. But also people are out and about. They're outside. You know, like that has, that is also part of the challenge, I think. Like, you know, we're all, mm-hmm. you know, it's fr- frozen tundra out here in the middle of um, Minnesota <laughs> in um, January and um, February. It's probably the coldest time for us, right? And um mm-hmm. So people stay indoors. Now they're going to be out and about circulating and, and um, there's some good things about that. There's some bad things about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So on Community Conversations, you will be bringing your expertise to the program, to these conversations, and I'm really excited for that. And of course, once again, we will be hearing from folks from around Minnesota on the topics we're covering.
0: Yes, and today on the show we'll be looking at where we are now. It's been two solid years since the start of the COVID nineteen pandemic, and so much has changed in um, the landscape. We're going to take some time to see where we stand now.
1: Yeah, and especially when it comes to how we, you, and I, and others are operating as individuals in communities. You know, we're not we're not islands unto ourselves. <laughs> so, what decisions are we making? So, Anthony. Before we get into the 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 meat of the conversation, why don't you give us a bit of an overview of where we are in Minnesota, and kind of what are you seeing, and also at NAC at the Native American Community Clinic, where's wh- how's NAC doing?
0: What we were seeing both within the clinic and also within the community was like folks who had been fully vaccinated but had. ELEVATED RISKS FOR CATCHING COVID-19, RIGHT, AND, 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 and BECOMING um, SEVERELY ILL, um, m- MANY PEOPLE uh, uh, IN THAT CATEGORY DID GET VERY ILL. I HAD A COUPLE OF CLOSE FRIENDS um, um, BECOME VERY, VERY ILL AND SUCCUMB TO um, COVID-19, um, END UP in um, NOT JUST IN hospitalized, HOSPITALIZED, BUT ALSO ON VENTILATORS. Um, I had a friend who, um, who died very rapidly. Um, and, and so that month of January, that late December, all of January and early February, all the way up until a couple weeks ago, has been a really tough um, period of time for me personally, but also um, things we were seeing in the community. But we have seen that, that uptick come down, right? We're, we're, we're now closer to a community spread of about 3% which is significantly lower than the 10% um, where we saw um, where we were at a year ago. Um, and then also at its highest peak with Omicron, we were around a 24, 25% um, circulation rate. So, you know, we're, we're, we're we we turned the corner and we're in a good, we're moving in a good direction. And I think some of the things that for me become um, important things to discuss is like, well, then what happens to us as as human beings, um, you know, um, when we get to that space um, and place where we're starting to see the corner turn and, um, you know, our level of confidence and ability in, in being able to sort of like go maskless in public, um, our level, you know, those kinds of things. Those things are important to talk about because well, one of the things hopefully we've seen and folks have learned about COVID-19 over the last two years is that there's multiple waves, right? I was on um, having a conversation with some folks the other day and somebody said, you know, oh, well, um, you know, COVID-19 is over. You know, um, they said it on, um, you know, 60 Minutes. And I was like, I think I missed that section. That's that session. I don't think I said, you know, I pulled I pulled um, I pulled a, you know, a Trump. I was like, fake news, fake news, fake news. Don't listen to this. wrong <laughs> we're not, it's not over <laughs> we've turned a corner definitely but one of the things that we shouldn't realize is that you know anything this pandemic has taught us is that you know um you know we are all connected to each other here in the state we're all connected to each other in this country we're all connected globally through this through this thing right and um th- there are lots of places and spaces where people have not yet been vaccinated right
1: yeah well Anthony, why don't we talk a little bit then about those that those cumulative numbers because you know we can take a snapshot of where we are right now and be like, oh, things don't seem that bad yeah. right now. But how about we take a look at those cumulative numbers to really reflect on the toll that the pandemic has taken um, in the last 2 years. So from the data over the last 2 years, there have been nearly 80 million cumulative cases of COVID in the U.S., and there are 332 million people yeah, in the United States. Yeah. So that's so, a pretty significant number.
0: Yeah, that's like um, cases. That's close to a third. It's, you know, that's a, that's a lot. So 24 percent, I think. Yeah.
1: And I wonder. I mean, maybe some were repeat cases.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. But, and I think the other part of that is, is to also remember, like, you know, um, this data is likely a undercounting, right? So, like, over mm, the last right. year, at least, we've been able to, um, you know, these are these are the cases that were people tested in the, in the, and those tests were reported. We know that lots mm-hmm. of people didn't test, right? We also know that because they didn't even have the availability to get it or they tested at home and they didn't report the results, right? So we don't.
1: And one of the most staggering statistics of course is uh, yes. the number of deaths. Yes. In the United States, in the United States there was there has been to date more than 960,000 deaths. Yeah. That's what it is as of our conversation now. Yeah. Yeah. So we should make sure that we acknowledge what's happened even though right now seems to be a little more relaxed.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, those numbers are not insignificant, right? Right. And it's important to sort of, um, to, to to pay attention to that. I think one of the things that is important to note is that, in um, and certainly it's true here in the state of Minnesota as well, is that children under the age of five are still not able to get a vaccine, right? Mm-hmm. They, remote, they remain very vulnerable. I think the other thing is, is that, When we look back at the last three months in the state of Minnesota in terms of the data, we can see that the cases for young people in terms of um, becoming positive and becoming ill with COVID-19 tripled, almost quadrupled in a period of about, I would say, four weeks and when we look at the numbers of people who've been vaccinated in the state that are Native specific um, across the state, um, you know we've done a you know those, those numbers come down a little bit for certain age categories. So you know we're we're closer to like you know sixty um, percent of kids who are be- between the ages of twelve and seventeen, and, and we're we're even less so with kids who are between the ages of five and twelve, right? Um, and so I think one of the things that, you know, I would really want to try to encourage um, those members of our audience and the people that are sort of like listening to our conversation who have who are Native and who have re- relatives who are Native to encourage them to do things, all that they can do is sort of like to encourage their family members to get their children vaccinated if they're eligible for it. And I think that's important because one thing is, is that we saw that significant spike in Omicron cases among those, um, those under the age of 18, that was just like Mm -hmm. horrifying to see. And then I think one of the things is also that, you know, we know that vaccines, well, they don't necessarily prevent you from necessarily getting COVID-19. They do you know, 95, 98% of the time keep you out of the hospital, keep you from getting severely ill, keep you from ending up in, on a ventilator, and, and, and keep you from dying. And, and I think that's a really important thing to sort of amplify here.
1: And you mentioned encouraging our relatives uh, to make a decision uh, to help protect the community. Mm-hmm. And there are a bunch of decisions that we can make, you know, vaccin- vaccination being one of them. Yep. Um, And other safety measures, yeah. of course, uh, an array of safety measures that we've talked about several times uh, that we can also make habits in our own lives.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, And
1: so today we're going to actually hear some community voices once again, and we'll hear what's on their minds when it comes to decision making now that we're two years into the pandemic.
0: So how have you been managing this? I
1: have a perfect example.
0: Oh, okay, let's hear it.
1: And I'm very I felt very good about it. Recently, I went to a Billie Eilish concert. Oh, wow. <laughs> a pop concert at the Excel Energy Center. And upon entrance, we had to show our vaccine cards or mm-hmm. our vaccine, you know, proof of getting the COVID-19 vaccine. Yep. And masks were also required. Wow. And I know it's not a city requirement anymore, but I was so happy and so relieved to be able to go into a concert and have like at least a little bit of normalcy, mm-hmm. um, and to feel pretty good about it. I would say most people complied with mask wearing too. So decision making. Yeah. Venues can decide to require masks or maybe yeah. the artists can, Yeah. but I know, I mean, I would want to wear a mask anyway because there's so many people around, mm-hmm. but to be able to go to a place and make the decision to go to a place that has these um, safeguards in place allows me to make a more informed decision and, and feel good about it.
0: Yeah, and I think it also can provide some level of, um, you know, safety and comfort for those, like, you know, like, because I think you all like in navigating social space, right, um, outside of your own home, like a lot of um, risk calculating, calculating has to go on in your head, but then you also have to sort of navigate your comfort in spaces. And there's a lot of things that determine whether or not you're going to feel comfortable Mm-hmm. doing certain things or are moving through spaces based on how other people are behaving around you, right? Like, you know, for me personally, I I I, I do I kind of make my decision based on a couple of different things. So one, at the clinic, for instance, when I go to work, I'm wearing a mask because it's a requirement in our clinic. We just require everybody to wear a mask while they're in the clinic. Why? Because lots of people in a small space, mm-hmm. you're usually there for longer than 15 minutes. You're going to be there for, you know, a good you know, 30, 45 minutes perhaps per year. And, um, you know, and you're all breathing the same air and, you know, not everybody, and, and it's a clinic. Not a, you're going there because you're not feeling well, right? So <laughs> it's a good idea to sort of wear a mask. And so our staff are required to and everybody coming into the clinic is required to. And so that I conform to that. Um, I mean, I support that policy uh, through behavior. When I go into the store um, and I'm just... Running in there for you know a quick loaf of bread or a gallon of milk, I might not do one if there's hardly anybody at the store. And I just—I'm talking like I run into the gas station or a convenience store. I'll, I'll just do a really quick dip, and and I feel confident about that because I'm fully vaccinated and boosted, and um, and I'm uh, and I'm in fairly decent good health, right? Um, And so my calculation is like, I'm going to be in there for a minute or two and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, and there's not a lot of people there. If I go to grocery shopping on Saturday or Sunday at Aldi where everybody and their grandmother seems to go and the parking lot is filled with cars, I'm going to wear a mask when I go in there because I'm going to be in there for a while. And, you know, there's a whole lot more people in there, right? Right.
1: You bring up a good point, too, and you're talking about these calculations that you're doing, yeah how much how much of your headspace is being taken up by these calculations? because I feel like we might have a similar feeling on it, yep, you know, kind of making these calculations yeah, yep. over and over again all day long. It's sometimes just easier to stay home. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, that's, you know, that that's, that's a really good point because I think part of that conversation is like to recognize that, you know, this is why things that over the last year or two of, um, of um, COVID-19, that people develop things like anxiety disorders and more depression and stuff like that. And, you know, is from the isolation, right? The amount of psychological energy that it takes to calculate the level of risk for every single action I take indoors and out and whether I go to the store or not and vice versa can be really taxing on individuals, especially for this length and duration of time. Right. Um, I do think like I-, I feel more confident as a, as a, as a, in, in, in moving about and engaging and interacting with folks since having been fully vaccinated and, and boosted after my whole family got um, vaccinated and boosted. So I'm feeling, con- I'm, I feel very confident moving about in spaces and making good decisions. I have been anxious in recent weeks, especially during that Omicron outbreak where my kid was going to school and he, you know, they come home and like, everybody's hacking and coughing in school. I don't know what to do. And I was like, well, you could wear a mask. You could move away. There's all kinds of like trying to advise them and counsel them uh, on how to sort of navigate that space. Mm-hmm. And that did make me a little anxious because, you know, my kid had a really horrible cough for about a week and a half. And I took him to the doctor and thank God he was fine. But, you know, um, these are all things that every parent is going to continue to sort of kind of struggle with, I think, for a while here because we are not out of the woods. I think we're on the edge of the woods. You know, we're kind of. Yeah. And if <laughs> those of you who are from northern Minnesota know you can get lost in the woods for a really long time and be right on the edge.
1: We're following the sunbeams. <laughs> yes. No, we can see the sun and yeah, follow it to the yeah, edge. Yeah. <laughs> um
0: And. And so I think uh, metaphorically we're kind of there and so we're not out yet. And I think we just have to continue to make some really good decisions. Observe the environment and stay focused on, uh, on information coming in, like, you know, and use that to make good decisions. You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.
1: And today we're talking about how COVID has affected our decision-making process. And we're also taking a look at where we're standing right now in the pandemic two years after it started. Okay, so let's hear from some folks in Minnesota, share their thoughts on their own decision-making process. Chaz Wagner is an educator and is from the Boys Fort Band, and he spoke to a few people for community conversations. So we'll hear his guests first.
2: Leanne Johnson. I'm a descendant of First Nations, Kuchiching, and Boys Fort. Um, Right now, my career is I'm a school social worker, for Hibbing High School and also for the elementary school. Um, so it's like grade three to 12. So I'm over in the Lincoln as well. I, I do use a mask, um, especially indoors. Um, it, it, we're, I, I kinda, it's kind of a decision that I make as I'm there. But like here at work, I'll, um, if I'm out in the hall or if I have a student comes into my office, I will use a mask. It's effortless now. At first, it was a, a different way to think. Um, but, you know, it's not anymore. It just make, it makes sense to keep everybody safe. You know, what if I had it and I was near an elder, you know, um, and I got them sick? That would break my heart. And so, no, it's, it's a way of life now. And I think it's going to continue this way. I think I don't think we're done with the virus. I think it's going to come back in waves. Um, maybe not as bad, but it might even be just like the flu, but, you know, the flu shots that we're getting.
0: I, I like the choice of her words, actually, quite frankly. I like, I like the fact that she said it's effortless, right? And... I mean, I think that's debatable. I mean, I certainly know that there's people like, oh, I can't, like, I just cannot bear wearing a mask again, you know. Um, Because there there is some evidence of psychological and emotional sort of, like, challenges. Um, But I think it's also, it's important to note that it isn't effortless for everybody, but it is physically a fairly effortless process. Like, right, You're you're not, like, a healthcare provider and strapping on that moon suit putting on a mask, you know, for a period of time where you're sort of like more likely to be vulnerable yourself or perhaps somebody around you is vulnerable in your space. And so for me, it was like when she was talking about it, it was almost like, you know, this is a person who recognizes the impact that her decisions make on the children she works with and also their families, right? The people that kind of enter her space. And she's displaying, you know, what it means to be a good relative and to think of others instead of yourself and, and to take the effort to protect them. And I think that's what, I think that's what creator put us on this earth to do is to take care of each other and protect one another.
1: Yeah. I, I I can just echo what you just said. We also have one more person that Chaz talked to and uh, here she is.
2: Hello, I'm Leanne Hoffman. I am the education program's facilitator, as well as a band member for the Boys 4 Band of Ojibwe. Having the vaccine has definitely lifted the stress levels and just little things we would take for granted, like walking into our grocery store, taking my child into her school classroom. Now that I have the vaccine, I no longer feel like a prisoner. Because I'm vaccinated, I have a peace of mind attending any event, whether it's indoors or outdoors. If masks are required, any place I go, I'll, I'll wear them. It's no problem.
1: So another Leanne, this time Leanne Hoffman sharing her thoughts, very brief, but I think very much to the point, making the decision to get her vaccine and wear a mask where requested. Yeah, you know, definitely. Put pretty simply. Well, it's really great to hear from community members, of course, and hearing how they make decisions And kind of getting used to a new way of walking in the world. Mm -hmm. Just different decisions to make. This is reminding me of is learning to drive a car. Like it's kind of tough at first. Yeah. You're thinking of every single motion you're trying to do. Yeah. You would turn the wheel this Mm -hmm, way mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. put on the brake and then put on the indicator. But after a while it becomes
0: Effortless. Yeah, effortless. With with some effort,
1: please. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. Well, it's second nature, for sure. Like, I think the second Leanne sort of kind of said is like, you know, this is kind of like, I think, I don't think we're out of this. And I think it's going to come back in waves and we're going to be living with it for a while. And Mm -hmm. I've heard through um, different conversations that we're likely to see another surge here sometime in the next Mm -hmm. three to six months. Like, probably like in the fall. Like you know, when kids go back to school, and you know, back in those spaces and places and stuff like that, and I think um, one of the things I would say is that you know, I kind of want to go back to that thread of like how important it is for us to remember that you know, the uh, the 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 pandemic has taught us that we're connected to each other in ways that we have probably never really recognized ever before, right? We are connected to people across the other side of the world that we've Mm -hmm. never in ways that we never thought about before. Right. Uh Um, And those things are becoming more apparent. And, you know, we have to remember that like in developing countries, like they have vaccination rates that are like less than 5% of the population is, is, is vaccinated. Right. And which means that in those communities and in those spaces and places, there's high, probability and potentiality for that the virus to mutate again right and then once we have another mutation and we have another and then that jumps from that developing country to another area and then you know because we're so interconnected and because we travel the world and and you know we're we're one big happy family right Um, we're going to share that right and so we have to remember that this is what we mean when we say that it's likely to be something that's more endemic than a pandemic in time. Right. And we're kind of, I think we're, we're, we can see that on the horizon line. Right. Um, In some ways, this is very much like, um, you know, I, I liken what I'm seeing with this pandemic to myself and my own experience of what I remember the HIV pandemic being, right. You know, you know, I was a young, a young man in, in the nineteen eighties, um, uh, living in Minnesota, and you know H, uh, HIV um, was just starting to sort of kind of like hit the United States, and, and this big, huge outbreak hadn't yet happened. And I was had moved from Minnesota to Los Angeles, and all of a sudden, I'm dropped into Ground Zero, where. HIV is this huge outbreak and people are getting infected very rapidly. And within very short periods of time, they're dropping dead from HIV, right? Mm-hmm. And I was a younger man then and I was um, and I was not as knowledgeable as I am now today. And, you know, I had to sort of navigate that space, not having a whole lot of information and not having a whole lot of other supports about how to sort of kind of move through that world right mm-hmm. and um you know and I ended up becoming HIV positive in the late night late 80s early 90s I think 1991 is when I tested positive um and you know thankfully I tested positive then I mean if I had to um and not earlier because so many of my friends passed away right but I benefited from advancements in um, vaccinations. I mean, um, medicine, tech, um, you know, high, highly active HIV treatment came about right about the time I tested positive. So I benefited from that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been able to see over the last 40 years, the HIV epidemic and quote unquote global pandemic becomes something that we have become sort of just used to seeing. We've, you know we're, in the united states we've hovered around 40,000 cases every single year for the last 10 15 years or so maybe 20 years okay. and that's what an endemic looks like it's like it's something that is treatable it's something that's controllable not completely Annihilated or extincted, extinguished, but it's something we're living with and we're trying to manage, right? And I think that that's probably where we're going to end up with coronavirus at some point in time, or COVID 19, rather.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that, Anthony. I really appreciate that perspective, you know, that like really thinking about COVID in the long term um, and how it may parallel HIV. <clears throat> We did it. We had a conversation. We had some folks on to share their thoughts and um, talk about decision making and that where we are now in the pandemic, you know, there's there's a lot to think about, but we'll get used to it.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, You know, it was a meaty conversation and an important one for sure.
1: Miigwech to Leanne Johnson and Leanne Hoffman and, and chimiigwech to Chaz Wagner for bringing voices to the conversation.
0: And thank you for listening today. Chimiigwech, I'm Anthony Stately.
1: And I'm Leah Lem, Giga and I wish you health.
0: Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.